Ghana. He speaks on behalf of Sunral, the South African National Road Agency, and uh, yeah, some some of you might maybe just on this tolling issue um, might want to just reflect, I guess, also on e-tolls where, where we are with that. Uh, but maybe I guess some context for those who might not be familiar on how we fund our national road network. A big part of it, I think, around eighty-seven percent of our roads um, are non-tolled roads, so there's no toll gate or you know gantries or anything like that. Um, and that is largely funded, I guess, um, to varying degrees, uh, but in the main, largely funded by grants from a particular budget vote, which I understand is a budget vote of the Ministry of Transport. Um, and that's why earlier today there was that presser where Minister Mbalula was there uh, alongside the board of Sanra. But then, of course, you would have toll roads, I think around 7% or so, uh, which then are sort of concessioned out over a 30-year period, and uh, effectively, I come, I collect all the tolls, I pay some of that over to Sunrail, I take some of that, that's my business. So yeah, that's a bit of context, but we will come back to that discussion with Vusi Mona uh, just uh, in our headline segment. But we now go straight into the world of business and Snesipo Maninjwa is my next guest and joins me on the line. Snesipo, good evening and welcome. Welcome, Aya. I'm back. Hi, then the COVID. Aya, <laughs> Yeah, yeah, because yeah, it's yeah, yeah, you guys. Had, had you had it before? Phone. Had you had you had it before? Yes, yeah, second round, second oh. round, second round, second round. Oh, Eish, guys, this thing. But how are you feeling now? I certainly hope you're feeling better. Fully recovered, fully recovered. Okay. That vaccines work, so please vaccinate children and all those good things. Okay, all right. Well, talking about some numbers that are fully recovered uh, on the back of. Uh, uh, the COVID moment, and I don't know if they ever needed to recover because it does seem they've had a good showing throughout this crisis. Discam, they put out uh, uh, some guidance out in the market today and uh, annual condensed consolidated results for the year ending February. And uh, yeah, good showing there from the retail pharmacy units and also declaring a dividend. Uh, yeah, so that's a very interesting... The pandemic has been good to them in their lives. Mm. Um, so they've had two particular events that have helped with their earnings progression. Number one, yeah, your initial year where you had sort of people buy uh, supplements because of the COVID, fear and COVID. Then you had the second year starting from last year, which was the vaccine rollout. They've also been on a few acquisitions and what they've which, which, I, which I think for me is where the game changer is, is the, the businesses that have been mm. uh, launching, specifically the, the medical insurance um, that they've done. How does that work, by the way? I mean, um, I mean, it's the first time I hear of it, so so maybe just unpack it for us. Uh, how does that work? Is it like a medical aid, you or is it like a store account card or something? No, it, it, it's not necessary. It allows you consultations um, for a doctor as well. And what it does is you can access doctors and optometrists and dentists they're targeting what you would call your primary health care. Mm. So the, the issue that we have in South Africa is inefficient access to primary health care. Mm. And primary health care is what it means, primary health care. So if you have, um, if you have capacity, uh, specifically when you're looking at your medical services, on a primary health care, it lessens the burden on your um, specialities. Mm, mm, mm. So what they're doing is consultations and they're using, um, they've had, so you've got different um, providers all entering this market. And if you look in contrarian to discovery results, you can see sort of where they've been losing um, 
um, subscribers uh, on your higher end options where people have been moving towards your lower options. Um, and if you think about it, it's like four, it's under 500 grand a month, which, and when I think about how much I pay for medical aid, uh, I, 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 like it's a multiple, it's mm. multiple, but because it's targeting that sort of um, primary healthcare insurance options, and it's not really medical aid, they call it medical insurance. And, and what's the distinction between aid and insurance in that sense? Um, so two different things. Um, medical aid, I think I'll, I'll add an article that I've written on medical aid. So mm. medical aid is regulated and where you've got prescribed minimum benefits, whereas this one doesn't have prescribed minimum benefits. Oh, it's basically telling you this is the cover that you're paying for. Okay. Um, that's, um, it's a type of insurance. So um, medical insurance is... Um, from a regulatory perspective, it is governed under your short-term insurance act. I see, I see. Now, And, and that's yeah, yeah. just where it's going to. Okay. Now, I mean, you, you speak about this, I guess, as a, in many ways a, a market failure in our public um, health system, and primary healthcare in particular. Um, I mean, what other opportunities are these guys going to play into? I think one of the other things is this proximity they create to a pharmacy just in your neighborhood rather than having to go to any big facility or even some of the uh, private uh, healthcare groups? Yes. Um, what they're doing is literally, um, if you think about um, this game's coverage, it's literally just renting properties. So they're maximizing the rent on their properties mm. by repurposing, repackaging the existing rental to create another diversified revenue stream. Hmm. So you're using, if you actually think about how much space you need to go see a doctor, Um, it, it, it really is, you don't really need that much space. And like I said, this is primary healthcare. Mm. It's not the type where it's going to give you, um, um, it's, it's, it's going to, but like if you think about it, um, how often do you need to go for a scan? How often do you actually yeah, need to? Yeah, one of those elective things. Yeah, and it's, it's not that. You don't really, you just need a room. You just need a consulting room. And, repackaging your existing um, uh, property infrastructure and the fact that you don't have to uh, go somewhere else. Because usually I go see my doctor, then I still have to go to this game or click. Mm, after to go pick up your, pres- your prescription, I guess. Yes. So for them, it does two things. Um, increases your another income source on medical insurance and it also drives good traffic mm. to this. Then, Snezipo, I mean, I guess, talk to me about, um, you know, just the acquisition of Baby City. Because I think, you know, for the purpose of some of our listeners who might not be familiar, so just came at some stage, bought Baby City with the intention to unlock some operational synergies, which is very nice English for just saying, you know, for the same cost you're able, I guess, to, or for the same uh, activities in your own business, you're able to cover not just one part of your business, but maybe multiple operating entities within the same business and realize some cost savings. Uh, talk to me about that and what they say in this uh, set of, in the statement about uh, so, progress um, on that. So for them, for them, they wanted to unlock um, 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 the baby city, um, getting the foot traffic from the babies, and um, sort of. And what they did is, in initiatives, what they did is that they offered, they opened um, clinics um, which do specialized female care as well as baby-specific care. You have to understand that babies, businesses like Baby City at some point, and um, babies are at Toy City, those things print money. 
Babies are the gift that keeps on giving because parents will never not buy for their babies. Literally the gift. But then what they wanted to do is, instead of on top of getting the retail traffic, they wanted to sort of, but the babysitting to unlock the, the tenure of the babysitting relationship. People only go to babysitting once when they have babies. They don't think about going there before. So that's one of the reasons why they opened the flagship clinics to sort of also enter into the female healthcare market. Mm. And I see them going into a similar model because it just makes sense from just from a model perspective and a, a vertical integration for them to go develop more onto um, female um, healthcare, um, healthcare and birth control, which I think is then specifically care. And that, and they also unlocked the baby city, all the linkages to the baby clinics and all those immunization mm-hmm. shots those uh, babies need to take. Because if you think about it, by the time a baby is like two years old, they've had like eleven shots, and if you can get them again. It is about driving traffic and driving mm. fast quantity into your stores, maximizing your retail, your property. And then, I mean, just uh, I guess, you know, when you compare them briefly, just uh, as we leave this particular story to uh, some of their competitors, the likes of Clicks and uh, their own sort of uh, uh, what's that distribution offering. I mean, what do you make of uh, uh, this when you compare them like for like with Clicks? Sort of like uh, the big daddy in this. So, but this game catching up. Um, I think one one of the things that I think one of the most impressive about them is that they're catching up. So, Clicks has been has also done the same thing with the babies products and even introduced a premium baby range. They're selling these uh, prams, ridiculously expensive prams, again. But Clicks again is going after I would think the more higher end consumer. Mm. Whereas this game is still trying to position themselves across across your um, consumer base and, and and trying to get people to see it more as a value offering. Yeah, yeah. So let's maybe then shift our way all the way out to India. Interesting story coming out here um, from the central bank out in India. And uh, yeah, they're saying... Anticipate more rate uh, hikes, uh, and I guess that's something many South Africans would uh, be able to resonate with. And also uh, government unveiling their own plans uh, with tax cuts and uh, uh, some subsidies here to subsidize rising food and fuel costs. This is also the same country, by the way, that uh, banned uh, in the last while the export of uh, some of the edible oils in that part of the world. So I guess a lot happening out in India. Yes, um, two things. I'm two schools of thought. Um, number one, I think inflation has been is a global issue driven by increase in the price of energy globally. Ukraine, Sonke, we're in the same WhatsApp group. Sonke. So, like monetary policy always dictates that increase inflation, target inflation, you need to increase interest rates. So that's step one. That's from a monetary policy. The Indian government, because they have money, not like our people, and it's about or have recognized that this needs to happen from monetary policy. Mm, policy. But no to money. cushion the they blow, have money. they have <laughs> okay, money. So they have money. To cushion the blow to consumers, um, they've sort of done interventions, and that closely looks at the tax rate um, cuts. Um, they've also done subsidies on the energy prices, and, 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 and have like, sort of tried to cushion the blow from, a, from again, targeting um, discounts, your um, tax rates, and all of them to shield the most vulnerable consumers. 
uh, away from the damage. Mm-hmm. And and but I guess when you think about this, maybe just a quick one, Snesp, on that one. I mean, I think the big issue here is also this interface between fiscal and monetary policy. So the ability to do something on the taxation side and expenditure side that in effect complements what you're trying to do. Uh, and I'm not sure I agree with the complementarity at all, by the way. But, I mean, let's let's go with it for a second. Uh, what do you make, I guess, of that? And uh, if we take it and we bring it closer to here in South Africa, I mean, do you get a sense that there is similar kind of, you know, thinking of it in the same way, if at all? Yes and no. So, okay. So, in principle, I think this is, I think let's get our framework basic. So, from a principle perspective, Fiscal mon- policy and monetary policy needs to work hand-in-hand hand to achieve specific outcomes. Mm-hmm. That is, steady economic growth uh, with reasonable inflation rates and those basic, those, those two, those two uh, main uh, principles. Now, the application that they're doing in India, for me, I would not go that far because ultimately how they're finding this cushion to the blow is by borrowing, uh, increasing their budget deficit. That's how they're funding it. But it's a decision they've taken from a country perspective. Mm. So from that principle, I see it. But for ultimately, for me, the inflation, the, the, the story of inflation literally hinges on what's going on in Russia and Ukraine. Yeah. Look, I mean, I think maybe just the last one before we leave this one. I don't think this, um, on the part of the central bank at least, uh, in India is... <laughs> is an inflation play more than it is a uh, play in defending the rupee, um, which is, I guess, the other element that um, they're really trying to attract portfolio flows into India to try and, I guess, potentially protect the rupee um, from the implications, by the way, of the export bans and other things. I mean, if you're banning the export of fish oil from uh, India, and a big part of that, you know, uh, generates a lot of foreign exchange for you, you need to find another way now to attract... um, you know, that uh, foreign mm. exchange to your markets. And one way might be uh, to do that uh, in your capital and portfolio markets as well. Yes. Like I said, it, 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 for me, these are all band-aids. And, and it, 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 there's, there's, there's something to be said about um, um, this relief and, 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 and this relief to consumers as well as protecting mm. your, um, your country's balance sheet as well. Yeah, the thing is that rupee has been on a decline. It's hit new lows, and that affects also your financial market. Mm. So there's a lot of interlinking factors. And sometimes when, I always say that we, we sometimes forget to, when some of these decisions are made, we need to think of them in their completeness, their impact in completeness. Yeah, but Masih, I guess, I, I still, even in thinking about the completeness, don't agree with... Uh, what the monetary policy no, I don't completely agree. I agree with the principle. That's why I said I agree with the principle. That's political principle. It's not okay. It's not okay. Mpo Palata says we need 1.6 billion US dollars to sort out our energy crisis here in Johannesburg. Um, many of us were in the dark over the last while. Inclement weather on the weekend. What do you make of this? And I guess um, uh, it might signal a massive shift in the distribution uh, system in our energy market. So as someone who has been a suffering under the weight of these power cuts. Um, I think anybody who lives in Johannesburg will tell you that we have a distribution and transmission issue in Johannesburg, and that needs significant capital investment. We have, there is, every time there's been load shedding, and specifically in my area, our power trips every single time. 
every single time. And for me, I think you telling us about this is what needs to be done. My question then, because um, I, 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 I got hold of the speech that the Adam Paul uh, made at the Energy in Dubai, which I do think is a good initiative because it's, it's recognizing the problem. And you've had, you have meetings such as Durban and Cape Town all going to market uh, with, the, with the need, the fact that they need to be generators of electricity, mm. which for me, it always should have been. It should actually sit with the meaning. My personal opinion, it should always, it should always be a uni uh, situation. But the question is, how is that going to be funded? And they they talked about different options and um, the feasibility of some of these options. Some of them are um, a um, pie in the sky, but some of them are have have legs, have legs as well. But it's ultimately the question is, where is the money going to come from, and uh, can we afford it? Because the so you bring in private sector, and that's also one of the things um, you bring in private sector to um, to build it for you. They need to recruit their cost of capital as well. So it's not a free lunch at all. And the question is, um, it's question is, what type of structures are being proposed at that will uh, benefit us into end consumers? Because ultimately. The cost of load shedding, it needs to stop. It's really, like, I can't, it is the ghetto. It is the ghetto, Shane. It is the ghetto. And yeah, I think we need to just uh, be honest with terms of that. Some of the ideas I saw, um, the ideas floating, is the feasibility of some of these ideas on how quickly can they come on grid and at what cost. Yeah, I mean, because, I, I seems Nesipo to never hear ESCOM's transmission unit talking on these questions it's always you know either the group or some body and generation but i mean a few about 18 months ago escom had given some guidance to parliament saying look they're going to spend x amount in billions on capital investment in their transmission lines to at least make sense Mm -hmm. of the different technologies that are going to come onto the grid since then i've never heard anything else yeah, so transmission was unbundled, um, was unbundled in the last update. When, they didn't know when, when, when was it unbundled? It was unbundled. I told you they were unbundled. They ah, were bundled yeah, transmission. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I'm going to talk to somebody from NUM there about Kangalani, if Kangalani and, the, and them were made aware of that. When was it yes, unbundled? they were unbundled. It was unbundled. Some transmission was unbundled. So now transmission yeah. is, an, is a different yeah, company. Yeah, there, there is agreement. Unbundling of ESCOM's transition. It was announced on the 3rd of February 2022. Well, mm-hmm. So is it done or was it announced that it's going to happen? I'll send you the presentation. The business declaration. Yes, I'll send you yes, the presentation. Yes, but yes, yeah. Zima, like, I specifically remember it in an update in Feb 2022. Like I specifically remember it. Um, in terms of where they are. In terms mm. of where they are. And last time I checked for me that the progress was that they're working on the operationalization of it. Mm. Things that they need to do is the intercompany loan, creator consent, counterparty approvals, sure, licenses, sure. and that's what's in progress. But that's what's in progress. Yeah. Look, it's I mean, I, I think you're right, Nesipo, that a lot has been said, a lot has been announced about the restructuring and the unbundling of ESCOM's three divisions, generation, transmission, and distribution to different entities or operating companies. Um, but I, I wasn't familiar. I wasn't aware that that had already happened in the case of transmission or that it had been unbundled. So I think let's put a peg on that one and come back to it. Um, because if indeed that is the case, then isn't 
Izi ndo zifliers sibukele mos. Ekufana ukuthi acinye umbano. Acinye umbano. Acinye umbano. Sinesibo, let's leave it there for tonight. As always a pleasure catching up with you. Thank you very much for your time. Perfect. Sinesibo Maninjwa, the independent market commentator, analyst and CA, uh, joining us uh, yeah, for our business wrap. We're going to take a brief break now. When we come back, yeah, we're joined by the people